0: Welcome to episode 97 of the Swamp podcast. My name is the Day, And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James' apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Do you want to talk about what happened with episode 96 or do you want to move on?
1: Man, it's such a bummer. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was such a good conversation and we haven't had technical issues like that in a while. Yeah. And stuff
0: it sucks too just because Gully boy is a movie i've been like championing for like months and then that's the episode that like fell apart
1: yeah i don't know if, what happened dude. i guess the mic was
0: disconnected disconnected yeah Fuck. it's a bummer well i did my best to salvage it kudos to anyone who managed to listen to that whole thing
1: you did a good job though for what you had to work with thank you <laughs> yeah i know you put in a lot of a lot of time and effort.
0: Way more than I should have. Yeah. Well, it's early December right now, so this is like best of the year catch up season. What have you been watching lately in this like haze of like cramming in list making material?
1: Which I did, I did a lot this weekend. Yeah. We went and saw Knives Out last night, which was fantastic. I hear it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah, and it was nice seeing it in a packed movie theater. I don't know. I've had some bad movie-going experiences when the theaters that packed, especially during horror movies, where you have people talking over it and laughing at inappropriate times. But everybody at Britannia was like on the same page with this movie, and it made it so much more enjoyable. And I do think it will probably be one of my favorite movies of the year. Interesting. It's so much fun.
0: You got Daniel Craig doing his uh southern accent from Logan Lucky.
1: Yeah, it's like KFC accent. Yeah. <laughs> But you it's that Agatha Christie style murder mystery, but it's actually way more interesting than that. It's thematically rich too. And the dialogue is very funny and it is a crowd pleaser. It's just a blast. Like it's probably the most fun I've had in the theater this year. And again, I think the social aspect of seeing it with a bunch of people helped. Nice. So that was really good. And then some other stuff I caught up on, I saw her smell. And this year which I really
0: loved. That is not a crowd pleaser. No
1: and it was very hard to watch. Elizabeth Moss just burned through that movie. You know with these like downfall of a rock star type movies it can kind of glamorize the lifestyle a little bit. That doesn't happen in this movie and I like that she was fearless enough to be annoying too and for large parts of the movie she has no redeeming qualities and I also love the structure of it where it's very distinct, like long 20, 30 minute scenes. I think there's like five acts.
0: Yeah. It's like kind of like a stage play at some points. Yeah. But the camera does move from room to room. It's not like that. It's not cinematic, but there's long unbroken bits of dialogue as she's like basically a whirlwind backstage, just ruining lives from room to room. It's,
1: it's so brutal and hard to watch, but ultimately I like where they took the story and the way that it kind of resolves itself it leaves a lot of open questions about what is her ultimate fate but i thought it was a really good take on that addiction life of, story uh, yeah definitely about addiction and like the punk rock scene and just the rock lifestyle in general and how again it, it's not celebrating the debauchery it's saying like there's ramifications for this and you hurt the people around you and and again, I think her performance is probably one of my favorite performances of the year.
0: And it's definitely like a particular rock scene that you don't see on screen that much. That, yeah, it's like, like
1: that L7. Breeders, leader Kenny kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a very specific type of rock and roll that I don't normally see in fiction, I don't think. I like that specificity of
1: it. Me too. And it definitely got some Courtney Love vibes. Oh, for sure. that's <laughs> intentional.
0: I also want to ask you too, like, I know you weren't that much of a fan of... Queen of Earth, which was Alex Ross Perry and Elizabeth Moss's former mm-hmm. collaboration. What do you think is like better about this one than that one? Because I, I thought they were on kind of a similar vibe. I think a lot of it
1: did have to do with, like you said, the specific kind of time period in the scene that it was talking about. And like, I'm into that style of music too. So that's yeah. kind of what brought me into it as well. And I think ultimately the way the story resolves to like, if I remember correctly, Queen of Earth...
0: That one doesn't really have a clear story. Yeah. It's almost like that persona style, like breakdown of personalities and like rebuilding of like, it's a little more ethereal, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I typically like that, but it didn't quite work for me. This one, I even though it was very hard to watch, like I was on board with where the story was going, but I, I definitely like the director. I mean, yeah. Doing really good stuff. And again, Elizabeth Moss is just, she's one of the best, a actress, great right? actress. Yeah. And then I, I, last thing I'll mention is, did watch uh, last black man in San Francisco, which is another one that's been on a lot of best movies of 2019. I didn't love it as much as I wanted to go in, but uh, for a first time director thought it was pretty amazing. And it, I think it suffered from the same thing. A lot of first time directors do where they try to cram and overstuff the film with all these ideas. And I love the surrealism of it. I loved how, Literary, it was
0: also got kind of a stage play uh, aesthetic too in the drama, like the way almost like existential, like um, surrealism kind of stage plays,
1: yeah, like Waiting for Godard, Godot, yeah, Godot, yeah, <laughs> God- oh, <laughs> it's a
0: great title, though, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, it definitely gave me a lot of vibes of that too. And I i thought that the performance by the main character's friend, who ultimately he does you know a big stage play. At the end, that was some remarkable acting. Yeah, I think he really anchored the film from an acting standpoint. I
0: think he was the only like professional in the main cast. So
1: yeah, I think the didn't the director and the main character actually grow up together, and it's kind of based on Jimmy's real life. Yeah. One other interesting thing I'll mention because this might come up on Best of 2019 for some people, but you could tell he was not an actor. I felt like in a way his performance was kind of flat because he isn't a professional actor this is not his thing but it gave it this weird surreal vibe where he's sort of muted and he's just kind of watching all this crazy stuff around him and I thought it kind of worked.
0: Yeah, I agree it, it definitely heightens the absurdism to see this like person just sort of nonchalantly reacting to this basically it's about gentrification like taking over San Francisco and pushing him out to Oakland which happened to a lot of black people and like artists and people who you know can't afford million dollar homes. And it is sort of an absurd scenario to try to live in this city that no longer wants you. And you're kind of dwelling there like a ghost. I actually did write a lot about waiting for Godot in relationship. When I reviewed the movie, mm-hmm. I think it's intentional the way he's like oddly reacting to the situation, almost as if he's pretending it's not happening. Like he's like going about his life in a way that does not directly correlate to real life events. Like he's, he's acting mm-hmm. one way and the situation around him is definitely not in line with his mentality. And you know that it can't last forever. And that's kind of like the sadness of the movie.
1: Going into it, the last thing I'll mention is I thought it was going to be just an obvious sort of story about gentrification. It ended up being something I thought much deeper and poignant about you know kind of the stories we tell ourselves and how we give our lives meaning and even about where we come from the houses that we live in like and kind of the mythology we build for ourselves and how when that gets confronted with reality or that gets torn down how devastating that could be and i think that's central to like jimmy's character and his arc and ultimately sort of revelations that happen towards the end so i it Very interesting, very surreal. It looked beautiful.
0: Oh, yeah. The opening portraits of like people as he's like skateboarding by them on the street is really beautiful. The first
1: like 10 minutes is probably like one of the best opening scenes of any movie I've seen this year by far. So, yeah, definitely one to check out. Again, just trying to catch up on Mm -hmm. 2019 stuff. It's hard because there was a lot of good movies this year that I missed. But what about yourself? Have you been.
0: Same thing, but I've been going more for, like, weird, tiny stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched this movie called Wounds on Hulu. I watched it. Okay, so this movie is like, an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. I, lo- I really I fucking it. love this movie. Yeah. It's so good.
1: I actually was going to bring this up in regards to, like, New Orleans, because more than any other movie, this feels like... It was definitely made by a New Orleanian, but, it, you know, we've watched a lot of movies set in New Orleans, and you can kind of... Tell by the architecture, whatever it's in New Orleans, but it doesn't really feel made by someone that lives here. Whereas this one, he's like, Yeah, let's go to the fly. And th- like that would never be. He's in wearing a like Hollywood. a
0: MORGAS shirt through like half the film. Yeah, I like those little touches where it felt really authentic. Okay, so it gets even more specific than that for me though. Mm. So I'm watching this movie and I'm like, God, this reminds me so much of when I worked in a bar uptown when I used to work at the pub. The guy who wrote the book, this is based on, also worked at a bartender at The Pub. I read
1: that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Did y'all work together at the same time? I don't time? remember
0: him, um, if so. I think he left before I started working there. I only worked there for like two years, so I'm, I'm not like part of the service industry like mm, uh, gotcha. hierarchy there. But you're watching Army Hammer play this like handsome bartender at this like sort of nasty uptown bar. Which is not a real bar, right? No, okay. Actually, I recognize it as a wedding venue that my friend got married at on the West Bank. So the geography is a little off, but the, it looks oh, legit. Okay, and yeah, they he has at home this you know nice place to live with this like live-in fiance character played by Dakota Johnson, who's sort of like this blank slate and is just too busy to even like deal with his bullshit. And he you know is an insomniac because he works the graveyard shift at a bar and spends his entire time at the bar trying to seduce patrons like Zazzy Beats. That character reminds me so much of, like, hunky bartenders who worked totally. at the same bar. Like, I know that archetype.
1: 100%. I'm with you.
0: And what's so great about it is he's a functioning alcoholic, and you watch over the film how easy it is for the functioning part to fall apart and for his alcoholism to just ruin his life. Right. As soon
1: as, like, the relationships start to fall apart Yeah. and losing a job that like fun, alcoholic party type handsome e- boy, <laughs> right? Easily turns into something much, much darker and
0: bitter and gross. And by the end of the film, I'm not going to give away too much, but he has nothing left. Like all he has is rot and gross and nasty, just mush of a nothing roaches. Yeah. And that's, what's great about this film too, is that not only do I recognize, you know, this version of a hyper local specific functioning, alcoholic archetype, Um, It's also a Lovecraftian horror film about this, like, haunted cell phone, which is another trope that, you know, I'm very personally connected to. That's, like, one of my favorite genres is, like, haunted internet Mm -hmm. stuff. And it brings in this, like, unknowable evil in his life that the movie never fully explains. But it does come with this really horrific imagery that I thought was legitimately scary. Yes. And it is connected in that the Lovecraft, like, unknowable cosmic horror that comes through the cell phone is tied to cockroaches in some way which if you've ever lived in new orleans you know that cockroaches are just part of our lives here like they just find a way to establish themselves in your home from time to time another part i
1: identified with was how he you know he's like a college dropout probably in his i think he's in his like early 30s but he's like hanging out like i think he's dating someone in college and he's kind of he talks about like oh i'm going to the fly and Mm -hmm. sort of Everyone knows that guy that never quite like grew up is stuck in like college mode. And again, the fact that he's still out all night drinking and not really making a life for himself, like identify with that so much because I know so many people, especially in this city, in the service industry, in the service industry that fall into that trap.
0: And when I worked at that bar in particular was after I graduated college and I was trying to get, you know, a legitimate job. And eventually we did. We got out of there. But, like, there was definitely a few years when I worked in, like, bar jobs and restaurants and things where, like, I had already gotten my degree and I couldn't get, like, a real life started. That easily could have fallen apart to just me, like, living in a cockroach-fested apartment on a friend's couch. The complaint about this movie is that it's a bunch of weird, freaky shit thrown on the screen for no reason and that there's no story here and i strongly disagree I that. strongly disagree too. i think it has a very purposeful trajectory if you watch where he starts at the beginning of the film and where he ends up at the end once his like you know handsomeness and charm doesn't like overcome his hurdles
1: like he does have a life in the beginning but it's hanging on by a thread right his relationship's really not that great you know his job is pretty shitty but you know he has a job and like you said, I've been there too. After I graduated, I was just like delivering pizzas, getting off at two in the morning, going out to bars. Until like dawn. Yeah, like <laughs> single, like no idea what I was doing with my life. And again, like it would have been so easy to fall into that exact same state. So uh, I really liked it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah.
0: So one more on Hulu. Uh, it's called Aniara. Uh, it's A-N-I-A-R-A. It's a Swedish science fiction picture if you heard about this one Mm-mm, no okay. so it's a spaceship in the future um global warming is like destroyed earth and people are sort of shuttling back and forth from earth to a uh, colony on mars there's these giant like cruise ship alien ships that are going back and forth one of them with like hundreds of people on it gets thrown off course and just starts drifting in deep space And instead of taking a couple days to get from one planet to the other, like, you know, some people are going to business meetings on Mars or like going to see their kids like soccer game or something. All of Mm -hmm. a sudden it's like, oh, no, it's going to take us two years to get back. And then two years turns into longer and then longer and longer. And the people who are stuck in this like permanent cruise, like business cruise are like having to form new societies and new rules and new religions on this spaceship. That's going to nowhere and Mm -hmm. has like a promise of, Oh yeah, one day we'll return to earth, but there's no sign that that will ever happen. Mm -hmm. So a lot of existential dread on this ship as well. This is another movie that's been sort of derided as just not purposeful and not interesting. And I really liked it. There's some weird sex cult stuff that starts to happen as they get bored. (laughs) Um, There's some virtual reality Um, simulations of like basically there's this computer that can get in your head and spark memories of nature on earth before it was completely destroyed and people become addicted to using that escapism now that they're stuck on the ship and it like reconnects them to nature and that addiction like gets out of hand and becomes a religion in its own way too Hmm. and it's about like how as we're traveling on this spaceship earth that's like dying and running out of resources, what purpose do we have? And like, what, like it's got almost like a philosophical bent of like, Hmm. what are we even doing at this point? If we're all in decline and what, what's the purpose of anything and how do we create purpose in those dying days? And like, what is the ethics of bringing a child into a situation like that? Yeah. Uh, And that way it reminded me a lot of high life, which I know is a movie you did not enjoy, but I think People who were frustrated with High Life's sort of, like, cruelty and cold distance and, like, stubbornness to, like, be a clear story, I think this one does a lot of the same things thematically but is just more engaging on like an emotional linear Mm. storytelling level. Um, And it does get weird in its own way as the years start piling up and their life on the spaceship just gets more and more disconnected from like how life on earth used to be. And yeah, if you want to like process global warming, climate change things through like a sci-fi genre lens, I don't think anything has done it better than this like weird Swedish movie that's just sort of quietly sitting on Hulu. It's really good. Dude, that just
1: tickled so, because like you're talking about the existential dread, then the philosophy of like, you know, climate change and bring a child into the world. And what is our purpose? Like if we're ultimately doomed, all that is like connecting with me, I definitely want to check that out.
0: It's really good. I I think that is one of the stronger films of the year that's not getting talked about enough. I put it on the same level as High Life, which I really liked. I think they're doing very similar things in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think if one person was frustrated by High Life, they might you know find similar thematic resonance here with a more satisfying like follow-through maybe
1: yeah and i did love the kind of themes and the look of high life but ultimately i need some narrative and i didn't get that from that film it sounds like this one might give me the same thing in a more palatable way
0: it's less of an artsy fartsy indulgence it's not it's less high life on a visual level and more like sci-fi channel, like Battlestar Galactica stuff. Right. The, the main character is a crew member of the ship who has like a job. So it's a lot of like daily labor on this mm-hmm. like sci-fi uh, situation. But, you know, as it goes on and the situation gets worse, things get much weirder than that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I think y'all would like it in particular.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely check that out.
0: And then one more quick one uh, on Netflix. They just added, I lost my body which I watched uh, last night.
1: Oh, I I started watching it. I didn't finish it though. I like it. it was just super late and I fell, so it wasn't bad, but
0: it's a French animated film. It's relatively short. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about this severed hand that lost its body. It like wakes up in a refrigerator (laughs) in a science lab and um, sort of scuttles off across the ground, kind of like thing from uh, Adam's family. And it's looking for its body. Half the movie is this like action adventure of the hand, like, Fighting pigeons and rats and, like, Mm. avoiding getting crushed by, like, modes of transportation as it scuttles across the city. That is very exciting. I love that stuff so much. The other half is this, like, twee romance about this guy who's, like, really awkward and doesn't know how to hit on this woman he's in love with. And he eventually establishes a connection with her, but it's, like, on false pretenses. Mm. That part, not as good. But the fact that those two stories are working in conjunction with each other is just delightfully weird. Like, it's just a weird combination mm-hmm. of things. They have this, like, action horror thing of this, like, severed hand and this, like, wistful twee romance. Like, it's a fun combination. So, I think Wounds and Aniara are going to register on my, like, favorite films of the year somewhere on, on the list. But that one, I was just more tickled by it and found it very strange. The,
1: n- the genre mashup.
0: yeah. And there's just not enough 2D animation in the world in general. A lot of it comes from Japan, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoy that stuff, but it was just nice to see, like, someone else take a crack at it in an unusual way. Like you way. said, it's a
1: short watch, too, yeah. so definitely check that one out. Yeah,
0: and that's on Netflix. That's a lot. We're also going to talk about more 2019 movies coming up. Oh, yeah. One more crowd-pleaser and one more divisive uh, film. Mm-hmm. Uh And I think the general theme of the day is vertical class warfare. So like class warfare between people above ground and below ground, uh, I think would encompass all three of the movies we're about to talk about. And all that's coming up to you right Right now. now. South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece, Parasite, seems to be a big hit in North America. According to the website Box Office Mojo, Parasite, which won top honors at the Cannes Film Festival, earned more than 11 million U.S. dollars at the North American box office as of Sunday, becoming the year's highest-grossing foreign film. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And for this episode, I forced James to drag himself out to see *Parasite*.
1: I mean, I'm glad
0: you did. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's like a crowd pleasing movie that's been like selling out like art house slots. It's not hasn't made a ton of money, but for its like size and the fact that it's like a Korean film, I think it's made a phenomenal amount of money. And you'll even hear like news articles about like it being like a cultural sensation.
1: One, I think the director Bong Joon Ho you know he did okta he did the host uh, Snowpiercer?
0: Snowpiercer.
1: so i think his name has kind of been more and more in the conversation
0: it also won the palm d'or at Cannes this year so it's mm-hmm. got like sort of a you know prestige about it like almost like oscar season buzz even though it's a weird genre film and bong jun ho makes like i would say ambitious genre movies that are like way over the top and like exaggerated in their in their themes Uh, But this one is a little more of a slow build and like works its way up to the ridiculous parts. So like a lot of people, I mean, Snowpiercer was our favorite movie of 2014, which was like one of our first posts we ever did as a website. A lot of people will look at Snowpiercer and be like, oh, that movie's ridiculous. It's so silly. It's a cartoon where this one, I think it allows you to take it seriously, even though it does get to as ridiculous of a um, class warfare theme.
1: And I do think this movie plays around with more genres than any of his other films have. You have elements of, you know, you do have that social satire, but you have elements of like a thriller, a drama, even some comedic elements, too. And they all work in this movie. It's pretty amazing what he was able to pull off.
0: Yeah. And that's an Asian sensibility, I think, in filmmaking. Like you'll even see it in like Indian films, Japanese Mm. films Hong Kong films used to do this where it's like every tone and genre packed into like one story. Uh, whereas like an American movie will typically stick to like one t- tone. Throughout. To
1: one, yeah. And I, I do find though in foreign films that do that, usually one element or genre will work better than others. I think this is pretty remarkable in the way that they all work and the way that they kind of escalate and build on one another and to have like really suspenseful moments with interjections of comedy. This is one of those things where it's, it was very hyped up going into it and totally lived up to the hype. Yeah. It's, it's pretty undeniable how great it is.
0: It's a fun watch too. Like it's not like eating your vegetables. Like the the whole time there are jokes throughout and it's like sort of ribbing you in the side, even when it's being serious and building up to the sort of explosion towards the end. So the story is about this family of grifters they live in a shitty apartment and uh, take odd jobs like folding pizza boxes to like make do. Um, but they're looking for a way to make consistent money because they, they do a lot of like paid piecemeal labor. They get a break when the son gets hired as an, a, an English tutor mm-hmm. for a student in this rich person's house, uh, much higher up vertically uphill in this like mansion that was actually built for the movie. It's like a really exquisite piece of like, oh, wow. design.
1: Yeah. And just real quick, it, that did... Remind me of a film we talked about before, Burning, specifically to Korea or South Korea, like that sharp divide between the poor and the rich.
0: That's not anything that's like strange to Bong Joon-ho's movies either, because the whole trajectory of Snowpiercer is the poor people at the back of the train fighting their way physically to the front. And as they fight their way up, they go through more and more like wealthier cars Mm -hmm. uh and then when they get to the front the wealthiest man on the train is waiting for them this one it's just as geographically literal like the class divide it's just vertical instead of horizontal so the son lies about his credentials and he can teach english he just doesn't have like the education to prove it and he makes quick uh work of seducing the daughter to fall in love with him just so he can like sort of get his claws deeper Mm -hmm. into this house and not leave it and he also starts getting jobs for his other family members like He lies about his sister's credentials and gets her a job as, like, an art therapist. He frames other people, or together the siblings frame other members of the household for, like, things they didn't do wrong. And the mother and the father get jobs there as well. And they displace other people who are in need of jobs so that they can get established in this house. Yep. I guess we can go spoilers in this movie. A lot of people have seen it by now, I would think. Because this is the point, I think, where, like... Once they're all established in the house and they're working for this wealthy couple and they're like their kids.
1: I mean, I think to because there's a lot I want to talk about with this movie because thematically there's so much there and it's talking about like so much in class and like a really nuanced way in a way that I don't feel like Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer to me was very black and white. It's like a comic book. Yeah. This was like Shades of Gray and. To talk about that, you do have to kind of talk about there's a I don't even want to call it a twist or a shift in the story, but you basically think you're watching one thing like, oh, this is kind of funny. He's getting all his family members job and look how they're kind of like getting one over on these rich people that are clueless. And then it happens.
0: OK, so let's <laughs> say what happens is it turns out the people whose jobs they took over have you know problems of their own. Uh, they're also poor, and they own a lot of money to a loan shark that is tormenting them. There's one lady in particular who seems like this, like, sort of, I want to say, stuck-up tyrant in the house. Mm-hmm. It turns out that she's just, like, desperately holding to this job and pretending to be a perfectionist because she is keeping her husband um, alive in the basement of the home by sneaking food to him. He is losing his mind down there and has come to worship the head of the household as like a God more or less. And that's where the term parasite starts to come in. Like all of these poor people are living in this house under false pretenses and feeding off of the wealth, Yeah, leeching off of the wealth of the upper class. Yeah. And I want to say the subtlety of the wealth divide here that you're referring to is the fact that, the poor people have to fuck each other over to fight for those crumbs. And the people that you are initially are cheering for, for succeeding in like supplanting someone else, you start to realize they're actually doing real damage to other people's lives. And the small corner of the rich person's house that they're fighting for doesn't seem like much, but they will fight to the death to control it, mm-hmm. which at the end results in like real bloodshed and gets really gross. And then there's this really beautiful, you know, denouement at the end where the kid is looking back and is like, "I'm gonna buy my family out of this routine. Eventually, I will live in that house and I will free them from this cycle." And we know, as an audience, that that will never fucking happen because uh, everyone's sort of stuck in their roles here.
1: Yeah, the son has sort of like internalized the idea of kind of like the American dream, like, "Oh, if I just work hard enough, I can buy this house for my family one day." And you know it's just a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. Yeah. And that's where like the tragic elements come in.
0: The best you can hope for is to feed off of the wealth from the basement and like yeah. kill yourself trying to survive. It, it gets really nasty and violent, but it's also like really fun throughout. And I think the cruelest things that happen in the movie are poor people fighting each other over scraps.
1: Well, and something I loved about this movie that... I think in an interview, the director said he wanted you to root for nobody and everybody at the same time, which is kind of the vibe of this. Like in the beginning, you are rooting for the family. Like, oh yeah, these like rich people, they're so out of touch. Like why not kind of calm them and get yourself in a better position? But throughout the movie, you kind of see the holes in that logic. And you see that the poor family like has their problems too. It's not trying to paint. This black and white picture of like, oh, these are the protagonists and the rich people are the evil ones. It's like the rich family is kind of out of touch and they don't have any real concern for the problems of poor people, which feels pretty true to the way. You know, I think a lot of upper class people don't actively hate poor people. I think they just like don't have their concerns in mind. It's just like.
0: But that's a problem though, that their existence and their like daily lives are causing like all this bloodshed just outside of their eye line. Like there's yeah. a lot of horrific shit that's happening just so they can maintain this like status quo. But, but movie, Whether or not they, they know it or recognize it, it's still like their daily lives are like causing pain.
1: But I think the movie does a good job of not like vilifying them as like bad people. It's sort of like their class has sort of blinded them to the problems of the everyday Working person, and it does a really good job of, I think, like showing the nuance and the gray area of class in a way that, again, like Snowpiercer didn't really touch on. And I think it's hard for a film to even address that because it gets kind of murky. I did hate them though (laughs) did you yeah because even the um, it's a slow build
0: character or the matriarch of the house not as much as the man but the way he talks about how poor people smell smell. alike yeah uh, and how that smell disgusts
1: him and that's ultimately what leads to the
0: bloodshed right and there's also that scene where they are having sex on the couch and they're like fetishizing poverty yeah really gross to me like that's like society level like rich people are evil alien beings that are not human. That is a very human moment to have, like, a specific fetish that's, like, a taboo and that you're, like, enjoying privately. But I guess because it's at someone's expense and they are unknowingly, like, three feet away listening to their troubles being, like, fetishized, there is a cruelty to it whether or not you know you're hurting another person. Mm -hmm. And then also, there's a really large flood sequence in this movie that floods the shitty apartment it becomes literally shitty because sewage backs up and floods their entire house. So there's just shit gurgling up from the floor and ruining everything they own. And then they go back to the rich people's house and they're like, oh yeah, it was rainy last night. It was very inconvenient. I had to cut my camping trip short and now we have to throw a party. Isn't that like annoying? So yeah, maybe the villain is the wealth itself and not the people because they don't have a malicious intent. That's
1: what I'm getting at. I feel like that is this movie's point of view
0: but I still get so angry anytime they say anything. Cause it's just like, do you not realize how much hurt you're causing with these like sort of microaggressions? But I don't think they do. They don't, but it still hurts.
1: And But I think also not that the film vilifies poor people, but the family itself is portrayed as like kind of a family of con artists that also when they do get a little bit of money, spend it on, they spend it on beer and candy instead of like investing in their Yeah, future is something which is what's used to like vilify poor people all the time like, but it's I feel like it's addressing that and saying like, well, of course, if you have no hope and no opportunity and you get a little bit of money you make from this, like, of course, you're going to buy some beer and like have a good time, feel good in the moment. So there's like nuance to the class thing that I feel like no other movie has really tried to address because it's easy to just say. The poor people that are working, they're the good ones and the rich people are the evil ones. And this movie, in a way I haven't seen any other movie do it, really addresses the nuance there of class.
0: Well, yeah, the, the best they could ever hope for is like a dry cigarette on the toilet while it's exploding with shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Like uh, that moment I think is one of the best scenes in the film is like everyone's tr- kind of scrambling to you know, recover what little possessions they can from like the shit flood that's ruining their lives. And she just calmly has a cigarette on the toilet as this like temporary pleasure to sort of like distract herself from the shit flood of life.
1: This existence sucks.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. That is a very subtle thing to do. Is it fair to say that he makes subtle points, but in like a non subtle way, like the movie's constantly reminding you of the fact that everything's a metaphor they get this like ceremonial rock early in the film and the kid holds it up he's like it's so metaphorical mm-hmm. and like the trip down from the rich people's house into the shit flood is a very long like vertical descent into the lower parts of the hill and it really emphasizes just how many stairs you have to walk down to get to where they live by foot. So the movie's not subtle in its like class distinctions and it becomes like this like bloodshed thriller by the end where there's like mm-hmm. this explosion of violence basically I'm saying it's not like shoplifters or burning where like everything is understated. It's a very overstated film, even if it does make like more subtle points overstated
1: with nuanced point of view. Yeah. I think would be a good way to characterize it, which I really like.
0: Yeah. And I prefer this mode to something like burning or shoplifters, even though I think those are good films, shoplifters more so than burning. But I think this one is just more fun to watch. Is that fair to say? Like I really like stylistically showy movies so yeah. if you can still do that, like work of making nuanced, like class and like thematic discussions of like real social issues, and still be a showy filmmaker with like you know genre payoffs, like I respect that way more than if you just like do that like art house thing where you say important things in a hushed tone. Like I, I'm always going to be more drawn to something like this, where it's like over the top and nuanced.
1: One, well, I agree, and I think that's kind of where our taste overlap this this film feels like a perfect overlapping of our tastes where i was really big on burning and shoplifters because i like the understated yeah the understated thing that's about important topics in a you know nuanced way but i also and you know i do like just entertaining films and this is a perfect marriage of the two again making subtle points while being entertaining as hell it's just fun to watch
0: yeah I will say I think the thing that it says that no other film has said before in a way for me is the way that capitalism forces the lower class to fight over scraps. I think I've seen the sort of temporary pleasures and like the microaggressions and everything else in this film done before. Not quite in this way, but I don't know if I've ever seen poor people fighting over crumbs in so Small and sad of a way, like they're fighting right. to be the head parasite. Well, it's
1: it's usually like rich versus poor, but that doesn't really feel true to the economic system that we're in nowadays. It is the system itself has forced the poor to fight each other and to also, like I talked about with the son character, internalizing that idea of like the American dream fight us, like work hard enough, and I'm like smarter and better than these other people like I can be one of those rich people. And I feel like that mindset is actually really destructive and it's also delusional. And I think that's the, ultimately the tragedy of the film, you know, you were talking about like the denouement at the end that he still, after all this stuff he's seen, he still believes there's a way out. I can own this $4 million house. I just got to like pass my exams and work hard and I can house me and my family And it's like you've kind of internalized these ideas that aren't going to help you or kind of an escape from your situation.
0: I almost wonder if, like, the uh, more mature thing to do is what the older men do, which is hide in the basement and, like, come out in the day to forage for food like a bug. The way they live is pathetic and untenable. And we'll likely get them in trouble But that's real. Point. But that is a lot more realistic than, I'm going to own that house one day, which will never fucking happen. There, I
1: mean, to your point, there's that great scene after the flood where they're in like a shelter. And doesn't the father say something to that effect to the son? If you expect nothing out of life, if you have no expectations, if you think everything is going to fail, then ultimately you'll be happier because the little glimmer of hope you have will be this like revelation as opposed to thinking like that you can be in a state that you'll never be able to achieve,
0: man. It's just a really well curated film, like visually in just how the house is set up and has its own upper floor and lower floor and how that's part of like a microcosm of like the larger uh, city structure where like the rich people live up high, the poor people live down low. And then that sort of echoes out even further to like, capitalist like differences in class where like there is a wealth class that you are born into and maintain and there's a lower class you will never, you know, fight your way out of, but you have to feed off of the upper class to get by because they have all the resources. So I, I think it is a really smartly done film, even just in the fact that they built that house to like echo that separation. I think it's just like really well considered and meticulously curated, but feels like fun and loose in a weird way. It has a sort of messy tonal quality, even though you, you never feel like Bong Joon-ho is like not in control of what you're watching. Like it feels like he was purposeful in every single scene, even if he lets it get weird, selectively.
1: One last thing I'll say about the, because um, you were talking about the flood and how for the rich people, it's just like, uh, we had a flood and we had to cut our camping trip short. And for the family, it's like, well, our house is completely
0: Everything destroyed. I own is gone. <laughs>
1: And it, I felt like it did that a few times during the movie to show like the same event can affect the rich and the poor differently. And another one, you know, like communication too. like the rich family communication is kind of this fun. It's like a toy. You know, the kid has like walkie talkies. And meanwhile, the poor family is searching for Wi-Fi so they can check to see if they got a job application. It's like like communication is like life and death for the poor and for the rich it's just sort of like a fun tool like a um toy essentially
0: or like how the poor family will eat like grilled shit meat with like ramen to get by as a group and the rich family will make instant ramen with like the most expensive steak you can purchase because it's a fun indulgence to like eat poor for a night but they'll eat like the nicest steak to go with it. It's yeah. like comfort food.
1: Or also like when the matriarch of the rich family like takes him like shopping and it's like this big chore like oh I got to go shopping and buy all this stuff for this party we're going to have. Oh, it's so stressful and she can just point to this and ah oh, throw it in the basket, point to that and meanwhile he's like starving. Yeah. Again, I I don't think it's trying to say that the rich are trying to actively destroy the poor. It's more they just have no fucking clue what it's like.
0: Does intent matter at that point if the effect is the same, though?
1: I don't know. Like, that's up for each person to decide. But I, I think that is what the movie is. Because when those things happen, it's not at.
0: like, oh, wow, they, they really don't understand. No, you feel it, like, cut you. You're like, oh, God, do you not realize how much pain you're causing? It's horrible.
1: I think with the mother character, it's sort of that, like, naive, she really has no idea. She's just in her bubble. Again, with the father character talking about the smell of the poor, and he's saying, Don't cross that line. You know, oh, we can be friends, but don't try to like. Always remember you're my employee. Yeah, and like remember your place. He is more nefarious, I think, in his attitude. And ultimately, he's the one that brings about the violent event at the end of the film. So again, there's like nuance to all this stuff that I think is like very interesting. And that with like the different genres and how effectively. He does those and how like in control he is of his film. This is great. I mean it's like one of the best movies of the year. There's really no denying it for me at least.
0: So a much less crowd-pleasing, everyone-satisfied 2019 release from this year was Jordan Peele's Us, which I really liked when it first came out and James did not like, which we talked about in like, what have you been watching lately, Mm -hmm. top of the episode intros. But I never really got a full handle on what you didn't like about the movie, and I was kind of looking for a reason to bring it back up, just to see if maybe that opinion would change, like over the course of the year. And I think Parasite was a good in for that. Us is another like unsubtle class warfare film. Uh, it's also got this like vertical divide between classes, but I would say it's set up as much less anchored in reality. It's more of a surreal metaphor about class divide. Even though it will clearly state its themes, the physical dissociation between the wealth and the poor, is very unreal. Basically, there are doppelgangers of every person that lives in America under the surface of America, living in these, like, series of tunnels. And everything you do, there's this, like, clone that's been made of you by the government that mirrors your movements. This is explained about halfway into the film not very clearly.
1: I'm glad you admitted that. Yeah, it's
0: not explained exactly the nature of their association with us it almost feels like supernatural and not scientific and we don't really get a lot of over explanation of how the shit works
1: that is what bothers me so much
0: and i think that's what i love about the movie it reminded me a lot of uh sion sono's suicide club Mm -hmm. which is another messy movie with like these really like overstated themes in this film, we have this like family that's keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's this black family that are vacationing at the beach, and their white friends have nicer stuff than them. Uh, they have like a nicer boat. They have a nicer house. Their kids are like well behaved.
1: But they're still both able to uh, afford a vacation home.
0: But their version of the vacation home is like slightly dinkier. Slightly. Yeah. It's like it's not quite as nice as this white family, and they're like keeping up with them. And the whole time that they're doing this, they don't realize that this doppelganger version of themselves that live under the ground, who are called the tethered are, you know, mimicking them. And it's like further down the line, there's someone who doesn't have it as nice as you and is mimicking you. And a lot like in parasite, they are causing pain and harm to this tethered family that is living this like subhuman life of the have nots beneath them. And they're, sort of everyday actions are not intended to hurt these people but they are causing them just like immense strife it's like when one of them gives birth with cesarean section above ground uh the other one is getting cut open and having a baby ripped out of them below ground Mm -hmm. whenever they eat a fancy meal the tethered only eat rabbit basically raw raw and I don't know if you know this, but, like, rabbit meat cannot sustain you. Like, if you just ate rabbit meat, you would die of starvation because it doesn't have, like, nutrients to, like... Hmm. So, like, they just have, like, a shittier version of everything that people on the surface have. And at a certain point, the tethered below the surface have had enough and basically have this violent upheaval where they claim class warfare and start cutting up everyone on the surface with these scissors and then form a human chain across America mimicking the hands across America commercial from the 80s for reasons that are also half explained but not really clear. Hmm. I love this mess. It is a very ambitious film with like a ton of ideas. It is visually striking. Like the tethered doll have this like red jumpsuit costume with like these like gold scissors. It's like an instant Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. And it's hyper violent i think it's hilarious uh tim heidecker in particular playing the tethered version of the uh, rich asshole where he's just like on his boat mimicking what a rich jerk would but be he's doing was also on a boat.
1: like drunk like because when you think about it, the tethered version just has to experience whatever yeah yeah so he's wasted drunk so he's just wasted and that's kind of what his, yeah i thought his like tethered version was very funny
0: elizabeth moss playing a cruel drunk wife also really fun to watch in this movie Mm -hmm. uh lupita nyong'o who plays the main character who has former experience with the tethered unlike anyone else on the surface it appears she has a very subtle performance where she's not letting on as much as she should to her family about how much she knows about these people and like her experience with them and that sort of comes out over the course of the movie so that's the mystery that's solved is her relationship with the people underground what's not solved is how any of this shit works and you just have to sort of buy into the cosmic terror of the fact that there's a doppelganger of you that wants to kill you with scissors um, and take over your life and i think it makes a lot of the same points as parasite in the way that capitalism and wealth causes harm to others whether or not you're aware of it it's just the way it makes those points is a lot looser and weirder i personally enjoyed this movie even more than get out which was jordan peele's like beloved debut as a filmmaker That movie I think is very meticulously calculated where every single thing in the script is like really Mm -hmm. well thought out and has a place and like deals directly in metaphor and is like a reference to something else somewhere in the script. It works like a clock. This movie is less of a clock and more of just like a weird nightmare. Someone woke up from and like tried to write down all the details and didn't quite get it all. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's why I love this movie. It is a upsetting, gross, mess of a film that is more interesting to think about because there's hairs out of place and it's hard to like really pinpoint how it works. And I really appreciate that kind of like cosmic horror.
1: But I don't think the metaphor works. What do you think is missing there? So you talked about it's about capitalism, but is it really like... So I'm normally not the type to get wrapped up in plot holes.
0: Yeah, I don't care about plot at all. Right,
1: and and we've talked about this and most of the time... Plot holes don't bother me. Like continuity errors bother me. If there's like a cup on a table one scene and the cup's not there, the next, it takes me out of the movie sort of thing. But plot holes, I don't really have a problem with usually. And what I found striking about this movie is like, there were so many plot holes that like, I could not get over it.
0: What's the plot hole?
1: Um, There's a million plot. Name one. (laughs) Okay. So the young boy in the family There's a scene towards the end where he interacts with his tethered version of himself and they like set this trap where they get them to go to this burned out car and it turns out there's actually gas and they're going to try to light them on fire and the son realizes this and he puts up his arms and he walks backwards and the tethered version does the exact same thing, leading him into his ultimate demise in the fire. Yeah. Now explain that to me in a sense of like everything we've seen before in the movie is they're tethered, but they don't exactly mimic their movements. Why in this one instance is the son able to manipulate the tethered version to do exactly what he wants to kill himself?
0: I think they all could control the other people the way he does in that moment. They just don't realize it. And I think the Tethered, their nature is to mimic the people above board. That's why they were created, and that's what they do. But they're fighting against their nature for this coup. Like, they are actively going against everything that's been ingrained with them to take over the lives of the people on the surface and put an end to it. But their natural state is still to mimic what the people are doing. When they first attack these people and, like, come onto them and, and like, invade their homes. Like a lot of this is like a home invasion movie. Mm. Uh, when they invade their homes and are like, we're taking over, people usually just freeze in fear. Like, that first scene where they're all sitting on the couch looking at the tethered versions of themselves and, like, listening to this, like, really creepy monologue from Lapid and Yango where she's like, we are Americans. That- Which
1: I, that line still kind of makes me cringe. What? Oh,
0: I love it. <sighs> I can't, it's
1: not even on the nose. It's like shoving it in your...
0: Why do you care about subtlety all of a sudden? Like, why does it have to be subtle?
1: It doesn't have, it, no, it doesn't have to be subtle. And the the We Are Americans thing, I can kind of rationalize because hands across America, they grew up watching worshiping this, it, yeah. worshipping this video and We Are Americans. That again, like as I'm watching it, I'm trying to make sense of all this stuff in my brain. And that one I can excuse like okay they're americans because they we are american thing but some of the other stuff okay another example all the other tethered when they come out from the subterranean sewer so to speak they immediately are like killing the version other versions of themselves but for some reason this family of doppelgangers Does this thing? It's the thing I hate in like all Bond movies.
0: They like overexplain the talking villain. Well, it's
1: like instead of just killing you instantaneously and taking your spot, I'm gonna like handcuff you and give you this long monologue where no other tether does that in the movie. Like Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker, what do they do immediately when they get a chance? They kill them. When we see it on the TV uh, newscasting, they kill all the people immediately. But this one family. Why are they the ones that we're gonna tie you up and give you this? Because those monologue. other people
0: you're watching, the other tethered are radicalized soldiers that have been trained and radicalized by Lupita Nyong'o's tethered character. She is different than every other person down there, which the movie does eventually explain in its like final reveal. She is not like the other people there. She, she is a different nature and she was born differently.
1: I mean, I get what you're explaining. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, she's not, she was not born down there. She does not. No, and that's ultimately why she's the one to kind of radicalize him. Yeah. And she's, that's also the reason that she's the only one that can actually talk. All the other ones just grunt. And she can barely talk. <laughs> barely talk. Yeah. There's more. Okay. The whole story about the government did experiments to like create these doppelgangers. First, they started with rabbits, then they did it on humans. Now, my question is like, or my critique is like, if this is a film about capitalism, wouldn't it make more sense to put these doppelgangers to use in a capitalistic sense, like put them to actual work from a thematic standpoint? Wouldn't it make more sense to have these people in the sewers actually doing work to help prop up the society while the more well-to-do people get to go on Vacations and have leisure but instead what they do nothing with these people that they've created and to me a better film would have really struck that home of like okay the people in the bottom in the subterranean are actually doing all the menial work to like keep society going while the rich people get to have their like vacations and their whatever but instead it's like this beautiful metaphor is like right in front of Jordan Peele's face and he like doesn't take it. I
0: don't think it's the same thing. I think that they're living hollow versions of real lives. Their life is pointless down there and they can affect no change. And they're just going through the motions of trying to live these like normal American lives, which is mirroring what the central family is doing with the slightly wealthier white family that they're friends with. Like, they're living like a hollow... That guy doesn't want a boat. He just wants a boat because his rich friend has a boat. So he has, like, a shittier, less functional version of that boat. And then the people under the ground are living this hollow fax, like a a faxed copy of a real life. And it's pointless, and it's meaningless. And the government experiment was failed, but they still have these, like, people just sort of around, and basically all that can happen is they get harmed by the people they're attached to. But instead
1: of going up... To the real world and killing them what i would like is for them to come up and like want to switch places like take instead of killing them take them
0: down that's not something that happened on a large scale but that is something that has happened in the movie with an indiv- individual character but i'm
1: saying their plan is ultimately like we're going to come up to the surface kill them and hold hands across america like what what kind of grand plan is that it doesn't make It's any like a se-
0: demonstration almost like it reads like a political statement and it is empty what good could they do like once they get up there and usurp the ruling class that they have to like mimic and these like hollow fake versions of like a real life what is left like they've been so tormented and have so limited of a like scope of what life is there's no good that could come out of this situation by the end.
1: Well, that's unsatisfying. It's like the last image of this film is all these people from the subterranean holding hands. And we have these giant military helicopters that are probably going to assassinate them or whatever. Like what is this film really trying to say about class struggle?
0: It reminds me a lot of the new season of the good place. Um, that's on TV right now Mm -hmm. and how it's about, how every decision you make in life right now, like going to the grocery store and buying a head of lettuce, causes harm somewhere off screen that you cannot see. There's no ethical life that you can live right now that doesn't cause harm to another human being, even though all you are doing is like buying food for yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Like every action you have is causing harm to someone else. That is a fucked up social structure. And there's really no way out of it right now. There's no way to be an ethical human being in the modern world.
1: Yeah. But see the good place has an answer to that. No, it does not. Yes, it does. It's that idea of the absurd of like, well, life is like ultimately meaningless. And ultimately we're all going to die and flame out, but like do the absurd thing and just like do good for good sake, because it brings happiness to the people around it. Like there's a message in there where this film doesn't really have an ultimate, like, answer.
0: Do you crave an answer more than a question? I like that the movie is weird and open-ended and has, like, a But I have no idea what it's trying to say. It's an upsetting reflection of social structures that we live in right now. The only thing I
1: get from this film is, like, the people that are disenfranchised, if they had the same opportunities as other people would do just as well and be successful— Sure. That's it. But I feel like it's trying to get at a lot more than that. And it fails. It doesn't know exactly what it's trying to say or what its point is.
0: It doesn't have an answer, but I think it's pointing to the haves and have nots like wealth disparity that we have is causing real harm to people. And the fact that we're complicit in it, whether or not we're actively making malicious decisions, we should be punished and there is a level of like guilt and complicity and things that will come back to get us on even if it's only on a moral level like maybe we won't be stabbed and taken over by someone in a red jumpsuit but there is something wrong with the way we're living and that feeling that there's just something off and that we're sort of ignoring it and that it will come to fruition one day that like all this shit is untenable, I think, is part of what the movie's expressing. I don't think it's a clear statement, and I don't think it has an a-, a solution to the problem. But we, were,
1: but we were just talking about Parasite, something that's, it's talking about a broad subject too, but it has nuance and it says something and it like makes points and it's like poignant in the way it gets its message across. This film to me is like trying to do the same thing, it's trying to be about a lot. Of different things, and it really doesn't get any of it across in a coherent.
0: I think it says almost the exact same shit, except that it's cerebral and nightmarish instead of like finely tuned. And I more am drawn to that like loose, illogical connection of things, where like maybe it doesn't make sense on a linear narrative, but the feeling it evokes and the imagery it conjures really gets to like an upsetting thing that goes way deeper than being told that it's wrong. Like it just feels wrong looking at it and it's upsetting to look at and the uh, associations it makes in your brain are upsetting. And I feel like that's more cinematic than telling a good linear story.
1: I'm not trying to completely shit on this movie. I do think the cinematography is great. It's beautiful. I do think watching it a second time though, you are talking about how funny it is. I don't think it's as funny as you're making it out to be. And I actually think that the humor in the later parts of the movie undercuts the horror in a way that's pretty jarring and takes me out of it.
0: What's funny in the later parts? Because I think it, the humor kind of drops out at a certain
1: point. No, no, like when they're getting in the car and they have the whole joke about like, oh, I'm going to drive, you're handcuffed and your legs broken and, And I got the most kill count, by Uh, the way. It's like, no, I actually kill. They have this. I'm laughing right now. (laughs) Extended scene. But meanwhile, we're in the midst of like what's supposed to be terror. And there's moments like that in the whole second half where it's like it takes me out of the horror of the film. See, I
0: think those comic relief moments are more cohesively woven into the story at that point. I think most of the humor comes up front with, you get Winston Duke playing the dad and he is like a stereotypical dad to like a comic degree. Like he's almost like a drag queen or like a professional wrestler version of a dad. He's like performing dad. No, I
1: I totally agree. That's hilarious.
0: And I think Tim Heidecker is really funny. Yes. Uh, I think maybe after that initial home invasion stretch, when it starts to get to be more like an adventure film where they're like roaming around the beach city the humor is more interspersed and it's more like a relief of tension than anything and that's a lot different than in get out where you have little rel howry playing that tsa agent who is like the comic relief and is like a jokester
1: that worked so much better no i think that's a lot
0: clunkier he's only serves that one function and he comes in to lighten the mood whereas here i think the moments where people make jokes or like are being flippant about the situation is more like human. It's like a more humanity coming through. It's not like all of a sudden you're going to lose your sense of humor. But the
1: problem, this movie is way, way scarier than get out.
0: Well, thank you for admitting that. Cause I believe that's true.
1: It's true. Yeah, of course. But it feels like Jordan Peele feels the need to interject humor. Like that's his brand, his style. I get it. But again, there were parts where like I was getting scared. I was like, oh man, this is like a tense scene. And then you crack a joke and it just like took me out of it. And then I didn't feel that tension anymore.
0: Tension relief has always been part of a horror film though. It's always been part of the fabric of the genre. I think that's coming from like a real like horror nerd place. And if there's any filmmaker he reminds me of, it's Wes Craven more than any other filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that Wes Craven has always done that as well. Like, his movies can be very scary, but there's always, like, some cartoonish level of humor that, like, interjects in there. And I think something that Wes Craven did at the time that he could not get away with now is his movies don't always make fucking sense. And people just sort of used to accept stuff. Like, oh, yeah, this child molester dream demon haunts teenagers... Okay, that's fine, but we can't have this untethered people 20 yeah. years later. It's- but there's a
1: difference, though, in that he explains the rules of his universe in a cohesive way where I understand the rules of Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street. They're, I mean, they're very like cut and dry The only rules. rule
0: is that he gets you when you're sleeping. That leaves a whole but, world open. But you
1: can't explain to me the rules of... The um What don't you get? There are people universe. under the
0: ground who mimic your every move, and one day they got fed up and decided to come up here and stab you in the fucking chest over it.
1: No, you're giving the, the like, very... If that's all it was, that'd be fine. That's it. No, no, but that's not it, because the movie decides, no, we're going to get into the actual logistics of... So the government decided in the 80s, we're going to create doppelgangers, and then... It didn't work out for some reason. And they were left down there and somehow like their clothes match the people up there and their movements match, but we're going to leave the situation. And now they're down there to fester. And then they explain, oh, there's all these tunnels underneath the You're US. You're talking about like- that
0: like there's like multiple scenes of discovery. It's like a, it's like a half line. Like she says it in like a paragraph.
1: But why even have that? Basically, if they would left that out, like, don't even try to explain. Some I don't think stuff. they do. Sure they do. They talk about government experiments. The experiment didn't work. So they they left. And then the people were down there to rot, I guess, living off a of rabbit meat. But you just said they people can't. You can't. Live off not ra- So if you really follow it, what it's trying to say, it makes absolutely no fucking sense. And thank God for it. I don't want it to make sense. (laughs) But but the movie wants to have it both. It wants to try to like explain to you this universe while also not giving you any sort of clarity about what the rules of this universe are. How did it come to be? I just don't believe any of this is
0: not purposeful. I think he gives you a little bit, but it's not like a science fiction film where you're going to piece together everything that happens. There's a supernatural quality to it. Uh, one of the things that happens when the tethered are getting closer and closer and the worlds are closer to matching up is that you'll see more coincidences. Like a Frisbee will land exactly in a circle yeah, that yeah, matches no, its size. Or like you'll look at the clock and it'll be eleven eleven. And th- there's these like uh, bars that'll like like the black flag symbol or um, Jeremiah eleven eleven from the Bible will be on like a hobo sign. Mm-hmm. And coincidences will stack up and that's the worlds coming closer together. To me, that's not... A scientific situation that can be explained. It's this like supernatural dread that something is fucking wrong. The government experiment gone wrong aspect is so Spartan and like briefly referenced that the movie's not it? interested in explaining anything. What I'm saying, why even say that? But why if, dwell on it? Who gives a shit? We're talking about the least interesting aspect of a movie that has so much more else going on. So everyone's going to focus on the quote unquote plot holes raised by three lines of dialogue instead of everything else that's happening, no, which it's is not way more interesting. No, it's not the
1: dialogue. It's this kind of movie all leads up to like the big reveal, and we have the flashback where we finally understand the whole universe we've been watching when she actually goes into. The Basement, it's like, this style of movie, it's like, oh, now we're going to get the answers. But why even do the whole answer thing if there are no answers? If it is really just this mythical, spiritual, Lovecraftian thing, why do this like, oh, here's the logical, the government. did. Like, why do that?
0: And I don't think the movie fully satisfies what you're talking about. The movie's not interested in answers.
1: But don't even tease that like, oh, see, we actually have a cohesive narrative of what happened, but we're only going to give you like pieces of information that don't actually make sense. When you think about it, just don't even go there. I didn't, I didn't need that to
0: me. That's a failure on the audience and not on the creators. They are it's not totally a failure of the creator. They're not interested in, in providing the answer and the demand for there being a more logical explanation is not their fault. Cause but
1: they did that. They could have easily They didn't just do anything.
0: Not- they just said, Oh, in the eighties, it was a government experiment gone wrong. That's it. So your need to have more information to make that make sense is not their fault. It doesn't fucking matter. That answer to me is like more of a shrug than anything. It conjures two things. It conjures Reagan era bullshit about the homeless, which was part of the hands across America thing, and it conjures like the 1980s in general, which has like a horror movie association with like, I don't know, thriller is in there and they reference Chud in the first scene and like a few other like 80s horror things. So in that 80s government experiment explanation, they are conjuring a mood in an era and then choosing not to explain it any further because it's not that interesting. The more interesting thing is the Tether's relationship to us and the weird-ass fucking nightmare imagery that comes out of it. And that's what 90% of the movie's about. So if you're going to focus on that...
1: Well, and I don't actually think that that's that interesting. You don't think either.
0: the, like, the costuming and, like... No, no uh, the from weird a performances standpoint,
1: the... Again, the music, the costumes, the cinematography, even the actors do a good job. My whole problem with this is like the plot and the script.
0: God, who gives a shit?
1: People that care about like, if you're presenting to me this vision and this critique and this metaphor, at least have it make some fucking sense.
0: I do not care about logic. Well, I know you don't. It's the least interesting thing about any fucking movie, period. Period. Yeah, but you need a
1: little bit of that. And to it has like, plenty. No, it doesn't. It makes oh, no fucking God. sense if you think about it for one minute and you try to like articulate it. Okay, what actually happened there? I really got no clue, but it was nightmarish and, and it conjured up very vague um, metaphors about what like, I'm saying is
0: uninteresting that. is trying to apply a scientific logic to a supernatural scenario. They tapped into something cosmically horrific. They realized they couldn't use it for what they intended it for, and then they abandoned it, and it got weird. That's the whole story. Again, they didn't
1: go the complete supernatural route, which I would have been perfectly fine with. They tried to like do the rational scientific thing and do the supernatural, and you can't have it both ways. So you're going
0: to fault the entire movie for a paragraph of dialogue?
1: Not just a paragraph. Okay, you're trying to present it in a way like, okay, there's some scientific rational explanation for this world and the dynamics. And then it's like, okay, you're giving me leeway to like, now I have to think about it in that way. Okay. How does this logically work? And you didn't explain any of it. And it makes no sense. And it I have no idea what the rules of this universe are. just as much sense are.
0: as Jason not dying and Freddie living in your dreams. And, Every other stupid fucking slasher scenario that doesn't make any goddamn sense. It's just that we've become so much more literal and logical in the way we process story now that we need things to make sense on a logical thing, I'm plane. Not, and I don't, know, I don't you know agree that with I'm that. Like,
1: Typically, not that kind of view. Yeah, and I'm
0: disappointed that you are attacking this movie on like a *Cinema Sins* level, or like that doesn't really quite add up when the the whole point of it is more the mood and the imagery and not.
1: I would be fine with that if I felt like the metaphor like worked and it was trying to say something beyond just like, yeah, you know, poor people, if they had the opportunities of rich people, they would do well. The only thing it touches on beyond that is like kind of the erasure of history with the, you know, it used to be the Native American funhouse and now it's just the wizard funhouse. There's little touches like that, but beyond that, I don't think this film successfully says anything.
0: I think it says that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. No, every, it doesn't because every move you make uh, in the modern world is negatively affecting someone you cannot see in a direct harmful way. And there's really nothing you can do about it because the situation was set up when you were born, but you are still causing real world harm. And one day, whether morally or cosmically or ethically, it will come back to fucking eat at you. And there will be a violent, I don't think the
1: movie successfully said that
0: at all. I think it says it just as well as Parasite, but in a more interesting way.
1: I disagree so wholeheartedly.
0: And I think just as much as Get Out is about like liberal racism, like latent liberal racism. I think this movie is about classism, but in a more interesting way. I would rather it be a little messy and hard to puzzle through and be like, what the fuck? than like, oh, I see what you did there. That was very clever. Like, I'd rather it be a weird dream than a clever construction. I think that is more cinematic. I think that the language of telling a logical, linear story is something you can do in fiction. It's something you can do in even, like, an epic poem or, like, a oratory format, like a true crime podcast. You can tell a good story about class and racism. But in cinema you're going to use the tools of cinema to say something in a cinematic language, the way this movie does a messy dream, like assault of like audio and visual just weirdness that is like deeply upsetting, but still touches on those same themes. I think this is a more interesting movie to parse through. And I think it's just a better film in like using the medium for what it's good for.
1: I agree that as a film from a, you're talking about the unique qualities of film. And I do feel like, in that sense, this is a better made from a technical standpoint film than Get Out, but its message is so jumbled and it's so broad. It's so broad it doesn't really touch on anything in depth. And all you can really say is like, oh, it gave me this vague, nightmarish No, it gave me a feeling. deeply
0: upsetting, nightmarish feeling. It it's is. a different night.
1: I feel like it's a hot mess. And I still admire it for trying to do a lot, but it just absolutely didn't make any of its intentions clear. And yet
0: you'll say that it's on the nose in other parts too. It, it's messy and doesn't say anything, but it's too on the nose at the same time. That's self-contradictory. Well, on the nose in what you said like the, we are Americans line was too on the nose and like the class distinction stuff was like too on the nose.
1: No, I said the we are Americans line made me cringe, but it, on reflection, it's like, it makes sense. Cause you know, so I, I'm able to see how my initial reaction to that line might be wrong. But my initial reaction to this film as a whole didn't change. And it actually deepened more
0: on a second viewing. Me too, but in the opposite direction. I loved it (laughs) even more the second time. And I do think that the film you chose to pair with it was good. I think it fits thematically. And I think it was partly inspiration for what Jordan Peele did here. But I think what he did was turn the kind of movie we're about to talk about from the 80s from like schlock cheap filmmaking to like high meticulously like fussed over art. It's a high ambition art film version of a schlocky eighties horror premise, which that confluence of like high art and schlock and like messy storytelling is like my favorite kind of shit.
1: But it's stuck in this middle ground of like, we want to give the audience some answers. So they have some understanding of this tethered world and how it came to being. And I feel like when you do that and you also try to do the Lovecraftian cosmic, nightmare, horror. cosmic horror that you can't understand, you can't really bridge the gap there. Because when you try to make it, like, give it a logical explanation. They don't try it, that hard. <laughs> they do. That's what the whole, like last third of the film when they go down there and they're showing
0: I'm telling you it's of, one conversation in a classroom that lasts like two minutes and to fault the rest of the movie for it is deeply so that's what me. the whole
1: film is building up to uh, Brandon who cares that's not who cares the film itself set itself up like oh here's the grand reveal all these kind of movies like there's this mystery how did this world come into being either decide I'm not going to address any of these questions or like explain it in a way that makes sense. And the film tries to have it both ways. And because of that, it fails. And because of that, it's like metaphors muddled and it lost me.
0: And what I'm saying is this filmmaker who has like a lot of clout and could have done anything after Get Out because it was a massive success on a small budget, um, decided to make this deeply weird movie and somehow convinced people to go out and see it in the theater. And that's what I want out of life. I want movies <laughs> well, okay. this fucking weird right, I, and messy give give to have this wide on of an that. audience.
1: We can agree on that.
0: I don't want every movie to be Star Wars. I want every movie to be us where it's weird and messy and maybe doesn't connect with everybody, but it is a deeply ambitious, beautifully crafted nightmare that's just like hard to pinpoint, and I love thinking about it. I think it's a
1: big mess. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my favorite genre. I don't know. I love a big mess. No,
1: but see, like, it's so strange because we've talked about this before. I love movies that are a mess. Yeah. I love movies that are overambitious. I'd rather something that's overambitious and kind of misses the mark than something that was like had a low mark and hit it, you know? But for some reason this movie just bugs
0: the shit out of me. I think you're failing the movie. I don't think it's I'm the not other way around. The, I no. think you're applying like a a very rigid style of like storytelling logic to a movie that is not interested in providing answers to that. Well, and it's just not that kind of movie.
1: But it is because <laughs> We're, we're, we're right, disagreeing
0: we're, about one paragraph or like one, not, ce- one scene.
1: That is totally what the whole film is leading up to. That and part's what, debatable. And what the audience like is kind of expecting. And
0: anyway, well, what did you choose to pair with this film from 1984? Should, which
1: is what, again, there's a reference very early on.
0: Yeah. in the first scene when she's watching the hands across America commercial, there's a VHS copy of Chud on the shelf next to the screen,
1: which there are a lot of parallels with this movie. And Parasite, and Us, too, where, you know, you you call it schlocky earlier, and it is. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a very basic story. There's like, homeless people have gone missing, and they live in the, the sewers, and uh, Below New York City. Below New York. And it's kind of an intricate plot, though, which I think is different for this sort of movie, where you have politicians involved, you have a photographer involved, you have A police captain. You've got like the EPA or whoever involved. Like
0: and the guy who runs the homeless shelter.
1: Homeless shelter played by Daniel Stern, always in a messy shirt. For some, but so you have like all these figures, kind of playing into this. Ultimately, it's about like these homeless people that get infected with like this toxic waste that the government has been hiding in the sewers, and it creates these cannibalistic. Um, Humanoid underground dwellers Underground dwellers <laughs> Chud Where it comes from And so again I thought it linked With the other films We were talking about Yeah But I th- what I appreciate About this movie Is that Yeah On its surface It's kind of a Larry Cohen Schlocky Monster film But It's actually Pretty intelligent I appreciate it Because it doesn't go Into the broad Humor Like it takes itself Pretty seriously For a schlocky Monster movie And I think the chuds look pretty gross and gnarly. I mean, I think
0: the one thing that's great about this movie is the chuds. Yeah. They're really cool design. They're like this goopy 80s monster, except they have these giant bug eyes that are like light bulbs. Mm. Uh, And it's a really cool design. And when I'm saying schlocky, I guess that is an insult to other people. Like, I I mean, obviously I've watched a lot of schlock. Like, I love when someone can turn like a $10 budget into a cult classic, which that's what this movie feels like.
1: But usually those films, like I said, they go for like the broad jokes and they kind of are winking at the camera in a way. This film plays differently than that. It takes it pretty straightforward. Uh, there's not like a whole lot of humor in this movie, which might like bug some people that are a fan of these. But I kind of like it had this sort of intricate plot government conspiracy and it had a lot of character driven scenes and dialogue. And it like was trying to be something maybe greater than it, what it actually is. Yeah. That's the thing
0: I most admire about it is that it's trying to scrap together like what appears to be very limited resources. Like it does look like a Larry Cohen or like a Frank Henlater film, but it's even cheaper than those. And yet because it has such a great hook, In that title it has a sort of lasting cultural impact and i really like appreciate someone being able to put together something this cheap that is this long of a reputation this movie came out in 1984 so that's what like 35 years ago yeah that's impressive that we're still talking about something this limited in its resources
1: and that inspired
0: us yeah Uh, did you know that jordan peel dated or was childhood friends with the daughter of this film's director And used to play with props from the film at their house when he was a kid. What? Yeah, that's cool. So this has a very direct influence on us. I I think it's not even like a question. Like it's it's like a clear line where he took this idea and turned it into something, you know, something much weirder and wider. But because he had a bigger budget, like they were sort of working with what they had here.
1: Well, you only see the Chuds for like thirty
0: seconds. That's a a problem. I don't like this movie. I've, I've watched it before and I thought found it boring both then and now. It is. Yeah, it's very boring. It's pretty boring.
1: And you really don't get to the chuds. Last 20 minutes of the movie? 30 maybe. And you don't see them very often. The things I appreciate about it are also kind of its downfall is because it takes itself so seriously. And there's all these like, there's like policy discussions about like, how are we going to deal with the chuds? Are we going to gas them out? Oh no, that's not good for the city. And that sort of stuff, man, it just like makes it pretty serious affair when maybe it could have been helped by some humor
0: i agree and it reminded me a lot of larry cohen like you said but in particular cue the winged serpent which has those same exact boardroom scenes where like (laughs) uh you know daniel stern and this photographer character who i don't know who the actor is he looked pretty boring but they're both advocating for these homeless people to be paid attention to and the government is all of a sudden paying attention because a couple rich people went disappearing as well. Those boardroom scenes where they're advocating for them, I'm like thinking, man, Michael Moriarty in Cue the Winged Serpent was so electric to watch in these same exact boardroom scenes. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off of him. Well, and I feel like that's why they cast Daniel Stern to kind
1: of be... Because in Home Alone and stuff, he has that quality. This is pre-Home Alone. Pre-Home Alone, yeah. But I feel like he has that quality and maybe that's why they cast him in the film, but he doesn't bring that same electricness.
0: He's got nothing going on here. He's like, there's a couple shots where I swear he forgets his lines and stumbles and they just kept the take. He's barely piecing it together here. And it was a mistake to not make him the main character too, because even he was at least more memorable than the photographer guy.
1: John Hurd from he's from Home Alone too.
0: Was he played the dad or something? He's the dad in
1: Home Alone.
0: Yeah, I forgot him in that movie too. I mean Catherine O'Hara is the mom. Remember that. Don't I remember remember that? But yeah,
1: John Hurd. He's the dad in Home Alone. So there is some parallels there.
0: I don't even remember there being a dad in Home Alone, so I'm just gonna have to believe you.
1: Yeah, remember in the airport and then the in the home and the
0: (laughs) <laughs> but even like uh, they cast yeah. John Goodman as like a single scene like cop in this film where he's like sort of hitting on a waitress and there's more personality in that scene yes. than there is like in the entire the rest True. of the film. Yeah, so I think if there was like a Michael Moriarty type where you just like what the fuck is this guy doing like that like Nick Cage energy where like the performance carries the movie Right. and this could have been a cult classic and still kept the small amount of chud that you get, but as is. The personalities are too boring to support the small snippets of Chud.
1: And Q, the winged serpent is a good example where, again, they only show the serpent for, like, seconds at a time. Right. Because of the small budget, but, again, it works because of the performances. Like I said, this one, while I admire it for being more restrained and trying to be more of, like, a straightforward drama, that's ultimately what makes it kind of boring and slog to get through I do think the Chuds are very cool to look at. Oh, they're great. I just wish they were throughout the entire movie. And I did kind of find myself tuning out pretty regularly. Yeah, me too.
0: (laughs) Both times I watched it, I remember the first time I watched it, I I was like hard to stay awake for But what
1: I don't get, like I remember, you know, looking up lists of like worst movies and Chud would be on there. And it's this weird middle area where it's not so bad that it should be on, like, worst movie of all time list. No,
0: it's admirable. It's
1: admirable in that it was trying to take itself seriously, but it's also not good enough and doesn't have good enough performances or memorable performances for me to, like, care to watch it.
0: It's not that interesting, ultimately.
1: Even even the social commentary is pretty straightforward. Well,
0: yeah, like, it has one idea, which is that homeless people are disappearing because the government um, is, like dumping nasty shit in their territory and it's mutating them. It doesn't keep shifting that idea in any interesting way. There are some weirder stuff that happens once in the last 20 minutes, once the chud come out of the sewers and start attacking people. Mm. That's where it starts getting into the us territory that I really like, where there's just illogical shit that happens. And you just sort of like take it at face value. Like uh, the photographer's girlfriend in particular is in this apartment where she's being targeted by the chud, For no explained reason and just weird stuff happens in there. Like she's taking a shower and then blood just shoots out of the plumbing.
1: I love that they just needed an obligatory
0: shower scene. Right. (laughs) And to me, that is one of the more interesting parts of the film because it's just so disconnected from any logical explanation It has nothing to do with the Chud or the government experiment or anything. It's just her having a shower and then something really fucking weird happens in it. And the movie just sort of moves on as if that was like a thing that happens. (laughs) And then the Chud, you know, start breaking down the walls and invading her apartment. This like home invasion scenario that really doesn't make any sense either. It's not like they're doing that throughout the city or that she is of particular interest to them. I mean, I guess the photographer took some of their portraits before they turned into Chud, but... Other than that, then I mean, they don't really know who she that. is. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's when the movie starts getting more fun to watch. It's just when weird, unexpected shit starts to happen. Once the chud come to the surface, it's just it delays that for so long that like you sort of give up on it before it gets there. Agreed.
1: I do think in comparison to us, it's kind of like the anti us in that it has a very specific thing it's trying to say that governments and rich people don't give a shit about poor people and they'd be willing to poison them and just do away with them if they could and it totally goes with that thesis and it executes it in a way like you're like oh I know what this film was about like the rich hate poor people but it doesn't really do anything interesting with it us for me at least was on the complete opposite spectrum <laughs> where it's trying to say kind of the same thing but also a lot of other things and also being really like out there and artistic in the way it does it. And yet it falls apart because it doesn't execute what it's trying to say. Cause I don't know what it's trying to say. So to me, both of them aren't great.
0: And the way I would put it is I think the trajectory of Chud is more of how filmmaking has gone since the eighties. I think now what we have is a lot of over explanation of intent and meaning, and things, where you have to justify the weird indulgences, like, all this logical groundwork is laid in films now, so that something weird can happen in the third act, and it's like, no, I want the weird shit up front, and I want it to get weirder, and, like, more difficult to pinpoint, and that's what Us does, is it starts off with this unfathomable scenario that's difficult to pinpoint, and then it gets, it spirals out from there, and gets even bigger and odder, as it, like, you know, moves away from this one family to show this like worldwide event or at least countrywide event. And then when it gets to a point where it could try to logically explain these things, it it's hardened. it doesn't care about that. It was more about the spreading of the chaos. What makes Parasite interesting is it does the chud thing that I don't normally care for. Yes. Where it lays all out all this logical groundwork so that it can get to this place where it can do something very odd. In the second or third act. Instead of just starting off like balls to the wall crazy.
1: And I think that's ultimately why I loved Parasite way more than any of the other movies we talked about And I think
0: most people are responding to that same thing. Parasite, at least... Once it gets to the weird part, we'll go like fully committed into the oddity of the scenario. And before it gets there, it's already having fun while it's laying the logical groundwork. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I wish more movies were allowed to be illogical out the gate and just get weirder and weirder until they end at their most exponentially ridiculous point. Because that is my favorite template for a story in a film. And I don't need things to make sense the way a lot of people do. Because I don't think that is the most cinematic quality of cinema i don't think that logical storytelling is the foremost tool of the medium i think that there are other things that are more prominent and more unique to the medium that when executed in a way that resonates with you personally whether or not us did is debatable that's the type of movie i want to see more of just movies that use every tool of their medium to full advantage to create something odd and that could not be done in any other template even television has been exalted as this like, oh, they're better than movies now. TV shows are like telling better stories and like doing weirder things than movies could ever do. And I think every now and then you'll see something like Us or like Climax or um, The Wild Boys where you're like, you couldn't make that into a TV show. That is something much weirder and like less willing to be like pinpointed logically. And I think movies can tap into that like dreamlike state. I'm with you
1: 100%. Like Because I, I feel like I need to kind of bridge the gap here because, you know, we argued about us, but I agree that I want filmmakers to take chances, to get weirder, to do things that other mediums can't do. And I don't always like answers. I think when you take chances, audiences can get alienated. Yeah. And I think with us, I finally found like nine times out of 10, I'm all on board with the weird shit, no answers. And it was a little... Refreshing to like finally find a weird one where I like couldn't get on board with it. But again, like you're always going to run the risk of alienating audiences. I mean, just and that's how fine. cool
0: is it that there's like a Southland tales, suicide club style, like sprawling mess of a film that a lot of people saw and talked about. Like we don't get that very much. Like that is, that is an increasingly rare indulgence for American film going audiences. And I, and also I
1: love polarizing Films and I feel like us was maybe not really
0: polarizing, but kind of had middling reviews. I think it's a relatively polarizing film considering how many people saw it. Maybe yeah, yeah.
1: But like I recently, I'm you know we're doing the top movies of the decade, and I rewatched Mother the other day, and that was a polarizing film. And again, very sprawling, but that you know connected with me on a very deep level. So that's the way it goes. You take chances and sometimes not everyone's gonna, gonna get it. And that's, that's fine. But yeah, I would prefer that trajectory in filmmaking than just kind of doing the old point A to point B plot storytelling.
0: And my example of a movie this year that I did not like that is in that same vein was, uh, Under the Silver Lake. It's in that same exact Hmm. ambitious mess thing that i usually love and i didn't like it so i'm not a hundred percent batting average on those either so i don't know maybe next year we'll find another mother that we can uh (laughs) agree on yeah well next time i talk to you will be our top films of 2019 yeah so got
1: a lot to catch up on us
0: will be in my top 10 who knows if it'll be in yours up in the air (laughs) we'll probably get into it again (laughs) all right well (laughs) see you all in a couple weeks where we'll have a guest from the we love to watch podcast a show I've been on a couple times. We'll have Aaron from that show. We'll be talking about psychedelic musicals with me. We're going to be doing the monkeys movie head, which is a psychedelic masterpiece that I just saw for the first time. And I'm very excited to talk about with him. And then also a couple more psychedelic movies just, you know, in our usual format, but just with a guest. Uh, So Aaron Armstrong from, we love to watch. If you want to hear their shows, I've been on episodes about Xanadu, which is another Mm. musical. Uh, I also did the Vincent Not Price version of The Fly. <laughs> I feel like I was on a third episode, but I can't remember. Anyway, cool. check out their show. It's great. It's already more popular than ours, so I don't even know why I'm plugging it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. And then after that, our top movies of the year. Hey, Bye, everybody. Bye.